Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Bayless. I'm here with my Bubba. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. We are on adaptability mode today. Those of you who have been faithful listeners for over the years have known that I I think, Bubba, we've recorded in just about every setup you can, Uh, driving, traveling, parking, McDonald's, hotels, retreat centers. Well, today we're in one of those... uh, Internet oddity places. You got brand new internet service there at your house. Pulled it up, checked it out. Everything was fine, and then she was gone. And yeah. Then- <laughs> yeah, I hate how she was gone, and I can't get it back. So I don't know she what happened. Well, we're recording via the uh, telephone today, so if we sound a little weird, that's just the way it happens, y'all. But uh, we are. Uh, determined to try to get a little something out each week if we yep. can. We're, t- we're talking today about the third Sunday in Lent. These are the texts for March the 3rd, 2024. Tell me what you've been thinking about as we uh, head towards the middle of Lent here, Bubba. Well, uh, the Hebrew scriptures for today uh, focus mm-hmm. on the gift of the law. Yep. The epi- What we used to call the epistle, now called the second lesson, on the foolishness of the cross, and the gospel is the cleansing of the temple from John's gospel. One, you know, I like to give the overarching theme of the day. Mm -hmm. One commentator said, it's hard to see a straight line connecting (laughs) the gospel, the epistles, and the Hebrew scripture text. Yeah, you're going to have to uh, uh, dash and curve a little bit here. If you well, as to Alexander Pope said, <laughs> fools rush in where angels fear to tread. <laughs> and I've decided not to be foolish today. I got you. I, there are a couple of connections, obviously, between the Exodus text mm-hmm. and the Psalm text. They're very tightly woven together. That's that. that. There is a connection between the epistle and the gospel merely in the fact that in the gospel uh, people say, well, tell us a sign for doing this, and then back up in Corinthians, uh, you know, it says they add, Hebrews, uh, Jews ask for signs, and et cetera. But that's yeah, a loose yeah. connection between those. That's just sort of a linguistic yeah. thing. So my theory of the day is, homiletic key today is pick a text and pursue its theme and use the other text sparingly, if at all. Pick a text and persist, brothers and sisters, with that text. As Luther said, find the kernel, with a K-E-R-N-E-L, the nut of the text, and pursue it. And... uh, just don't, don't work too hard on an overall theme. Uh, and, and so it would determine which one you go with determines kind of where you've been going this, yeah. this week. I know that 
in to do uh, the Decalogue at the opening of the service um, throughout Lent. So this might be a Sunday. You might want to dig deeper there yep. and, and, and use the song with it and talk about the nature of the law. And there's some, some possibility of, uh, that I'll talk about, about uh, using the... Uh, the, the law, as uh, what uh, the reformers talked about, the second use of the law, which is a mirror to look at oneself and know one's need for forgiveness and a savior. Right. Um, Corinthians, you know, uh, major theme there: the church and the cross, particularly in twenty-two and twenty-three. Hey, what do we preach? What is our proclamation? What is our core value? Is we preach the cross. And what might that mean and yeah. Yeah. for us in different ways? I am getting uh, a lot of uh, garble on the phone line at the moment, okay. Gilmer. Uh, I don't know if you can try moving your phone. <laughs> Do that. One okay. of those where you can move your phone and get a better <laughs> Then we turn to John's Gospel and... You know, the the story aside, uh, you know, we'll talk about that some, but the key here is Jesus, the temple and the connection to Jesus' death and resurrection, and then the church as the body of Christ, and all of those as, as a place where God and humanity meet, and it might be a place for the, the church to think about what it means to be the body of Christ if the body of Christ dies and rises and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there is that place where yeah. uh, God and humanity meet. So let's yeah. go to Exodus and walk our way through some of this. All right. Let's hit it and uh, see if we can't hit a highlight or two. All right. So Exodus 21 through 17, I always love texts that begin with then. Uh, so you want to know what came before if there's a then. Mm-hmm. Um Well, they were in the midst, 19 through 24 chapters in Exodus, of a covenant ceremony. Right. Um, Verse 22, uh, chapter 20, verse 2 says, uh, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Well, this echoes back to verse 19, Mm -hmm. verses 4 through 6, where he talks about bringing them out out of of Egypt, and you'll be a holy people and a priesthood, etc., so this is this needs to we need to place this in context. This is fairly important because the gift of being saved happened before the law was issued. One of the, one of the things we have a lot of trouble with in the, in our culture with the Ten Commandments is seeing it as a test or as something we have to do in order for God to like us. Sometimes you'll find yourself in conversation with people about their religion. They say, well, I go by the Ten Commandments. (laughs) Well, without challenging them on that and going through the Ten and making sure, particularly in light as Christians of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Mm -hmm. uh, that even if they did, as Paul points out at times, that's beside the point. Yeah. God, even in the Hebrew Scriptures, God saved the people before the law was given. Right. It is a gift. In the context, this was given to freed slaves who needed an understanding of how one lives in community. Right. God had already saved them before the law was given. 
And this is a gift to people who needed it. And looking at the nature of the laws in the Ten Commandments, we talk them. There are two different kinds of Israelite law. There is uh, what we, I guess we call it case law, casuistic, casuistic, and that's if-then law. If you do this, then this happens. If you steal your neighbor's cow, then this is the penalty. There's none of that in the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. This is apodictic. That is, this is how it is. It comes from a, a Greek word for demonstrate or establish the nature of truth. In other words, there's no argument about this. Yeah. There's no if to it. This is how it is. Yeah. And God is instructing. That's what's called Torah or instruction. He said, here's how you live. You know, I brought you up. I saved you. I rescued you. And let me tell you the nature of living in community. And this is the Ten Commandments. There are only only two of these have have explanation uh, about about making idols and about how to keep the Sabbath or why the rest of them are just straight up don't do this. Here's this thing, don't do it. Yeah, here's this thing, don't do it, and it is a gift. And I think proclaiming that if you don't want, I I, I wouldn't in a homily want to get into outlining what each of them means and playing around with that. I have I ten points. I have ten points. Ten point sermon today. <laughs> yeah. The important, the important piece here is the giftedness, because the place where we're most likely to fall and fail, either, either consciously or subconsciously, is thinking that we have to meet these for God to love us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or that if we do all of these things. We're okay. Remember, remember the person that came before to Jesus, a rich young man, and said, you know, what are the commandments? And he said, oh, I've kept all these in from my youth. And he said, well, there's one thing you lack. Yeah. Well, it wasn't so much the, the ridding himself of his wealth. It was actually technically a violation of the you shall have no other gods before me. Mm. His money was more important to him. Yeah. In the end, I mean that would be my interpretation. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. a sermon about this in the time of Lent is talking about why do we need, you know, why do we need the cross? What does this have? This is a gift. Yeah. And you get into the psalm, and it talks as all this language, the psalm about the giftedness. There's a reformed Reformation era time in mm-hmm. which they talked about the Ten Commandments. And they use the two, uh, uh, the, the Lutherans and the Calvinists and others, consistently talked about two uses of the law. Right. And this was over against what had been kind of a medieval practice of using the Ten Commandments in Lent as a way of helping people examine their lives so they could make a good confession on Holy Saturday. <laughs> Y'all need to check this you out. Get, Me- measure yourself so that you so that you could make a good good uh, communion on the annual communion on Easter Sunday. So that was a list of things to measure up how you do it and ask forgiveness. For Lutherans and Calvinists said, no, 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 wait a minute. The, the first use is to order human society. When I talk about freed slaves and the need to know how the world works, the yeah. second one is to look at it in real life. None of us can do this perfectly, 
can we be the Savior? And some folks put it, it drives you to the cross. And that, I think, is a good Lenten theme. Is to say, those of us who say, well, I'm okay with God, I've obeyed the Ten Commandments, need to take a second look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe not. Right. So, the Psalm, just quickly on Psalm 19, it, it falls out in two sections. For Psalms 1 through, the verses 1 through 6 is praise the Creator. And 7 through 14 praises the law as a gift. Actually, 7 through 14 divide out a little bit into praise the law in 7 through 10 with all those wonderful signs for it and attributes, gifts, it revolves the soul, it makes the simple wise, it enlightens the eyes, it lightens, rejoices the heart, etc. Right, right. But then 11 through 14. It, once again, we have kind of what I see as kind of that Reformation mirror aspect, because it says, uh, "Who can detect the errors?" You know, how can how can we know? And it has that aspect of knowing that the giver of the law is also full of grace and mercy. Yeah. That the one who gave us this law will also clear us from our hidden faults, forgive us, right. keep us back from doing evil things. Help me be blameless and, and innocent of great transgression. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that one kind of builds off of law and forgiveness. Right. Right. I'm just letting you run with it, Bubba, because I know we're on limited cell signal here. Yeah, that's and I, I want to be sure I get your stuff down. Yeah. 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 So that's one section of, uh, I think, play it, dealing with the, the giving of the Ten Commandments and uh, how that works during the period of it. Uh, a second aspect is going to First Corinthians one eighteen through twenty five, um, which is a rich, rich text. Yeah. Um, you know the the whole core underneath that is about Jew, Jesus. Jews seek signs, and Greeks desire wisdom and power, but we preach Christ crucified. And then, uh, you know, we can you can see all this language yeah. about. Scandals, stumbling blocks, weakness, power, etc. Part of the context that we sometimes miss is and Greece and the Roman Empire of how extraordinary it was that yeah. Christians said that the Son of God died on the cross. Now, there were all kinds of sons of God running around the Roman Empire. I had plenty, plenty of choices. Plenty of choices. This is uh, one of the things that, that happened in those days. Uh, as as a man named Tom Holland has written a wonderful book called Dominion. He's a historian of ancient history. Uh, Dominion, how the Christian Revolution remade the world. New York Times calls it a galloping tour of Christianity's influence. Oh, wow. He says, the utter strangeness of Christ for the vast majority of people in the Roman world did not lie in the notion that a mortal might become divine. Mm-hmm. Divinity was for the greatest of the great. Right. It was for victors, for heroes, for kings and emperors. Right. And when an emperor died, he became a god. And so his successor was automatically a son of God. Mm-hmm. 
the measure of being a son of God was the power to torture one's enemies, mm. not to suffer torture oneself. And be tortured, yeah. Be tortured. No death, he says, was more excruciating, more contemptible than crucifixion. Right. This what was in turn what rendered it so suitable a punishment for slaves. The salutary effect of crucifixion on those who might otherwise threaten the order of the state was taken for granted. Yeah. But so foul was the carrion reek of the, the crucified's disgrace that many felt tainted by even viewing a crucifixion. In his preface in early chapters, Holland makes the point that crucifixion was all over the Roman Empire. It was, it was their, their perfection of violence to create order. Everybody who heard the words of the cross had seen a crucifixion. Yeah. It was everywhere. And only slaves and criminals and awful people got crucified. So to, to pair a son of God with a crucifixion was an oxymoron. It made no sense. Yeah. And, I, I, and there was no honor, no victory, no, no, no agon. You know, agony, agon was in which a hero died honorably. Right. Fighting at the gate, killing hundreds of his enemies as he goes down. Mm. The cross would have none of that. It was weakness. It was defeat. It was foolish. Yeah. yeah. It was a total contrast to what both Greco Roman culture and Jewish culture were looking for in the Savior. That's it. We talk about finding the tension in the text. I don't know that there's a greater tension anywhere than verse 23. We yeah. proclaim Christ, and that's just what, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. That makes no sense. Makes the no Christ, sense. the one, the Messiah, the Son of God, the highest and the best, the holiest, crucified. Yeah. Which is, of course, flip, very quickly flips my mind over to the Christ hymn in Philippians, where, um, yeah. yeah, he emptied himself and, and suffered the lowest, lowest, lowest death there is, death on the cross. So, so this is a great tension to work with. Yes. Yeah, and the important thing is not to spend too much time in the first century. <laughs> yeah. You know, we can t- we can talk about uh, you know what it means for. Uh, Greeks and Jews to look for signs and and Greeks desiring wisdom and all of that. But we can we need to move it to the twenty first century mm-hmm. and say what kind of saviors are we looking for and in what mm-hmm. sense is the cross still seen mm-hmm. as foolishness and a stumbling block. We yeah. we too often have turned the cross into a fashion statement. Mm-hmm. And we have taken the, the its scandal away. And it has become a symbol of, for many of power. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't hesitate to name Christian nationalism as a huge oxymoron. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But the notion that the Christians should take control, yeah. take the power, and then oppress others to force them to be live uh, by Christian rules is mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Mm. 
in light of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and particularly in light of what we're reading right here. Yeah. It doesn't work. And we need to be looking at what are people, you know, the we, we don't even have to throw stones at prosperity gospel people. We can just, you know, it's easy to make those people look ridiculous. What do we look for in our mainline churches that is other than the foolishness of the cross, of Christ and him crucified? Yep. And, and what happens for many of the mainline churches, and I've served in them all my life, what happens is we sometimes take, uh, but the cross as, oh, well, that's that uh, Jesus died for your sins on the cross fundamentalist stuff. And then we ignore the fact that the call to us is Christ did go to a cross in service to the world, and we are called to do as likewise. Right. That is that which we proclaim. Right. A, a kind of countercultural. This is the other thing. Everything that that Christ lived and died and born again was countercultural to the Greco-Roman culture that ruled the world, and to the a lot to the Hebrew culture that it evolved. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we are called to be countercultural as well, and we're not real good at that. We're not real good at that, and especially when we when the answer uh, that we strive for too many times is to make quote the gospel the culture. Uh, everybody yeah. should live by our culture. Uh, that, that's not it. Uh, that is, uh, we are to live counter-cultural lives. Uh, yeah. And so it's it's almost too easy to think about uh, making America or claiming America as a Christian nation and everybody ought to live like it. No. So uh, uh, yep. looking at this, this text and thinking about what does it mean to proclaim Christ and him crucified, here in the midst of, of Lent, where we're calling people to walk, to follow Jesus on the way of the cross, the question might be, what is the destination? Where Where is it that, that we are being called to go, and are we willing to go there? Yeah. And does that destination look foolish to us? Mm. And have we any sign of where we should be going? Those are kind of homiletic questions for me. Yep. Moving, moving to John's gospel. There, oh, we about we all been waiting on this one. <laughs> well, John two thirteen through twenty two. Notice it's John two, and it starts with the Passover of the Jews was near. In the synoptics, this story takes place in Holy Week near the end of Jesus' life. Right in John, John sets the passion and the Passover tone early. Yep. And for John, a Passover story, which happens throughout his gospel, um, is is meant to make us think of Jesus' passion. We begin John's gospel with the cross in sight. We believe begin John's gospel with knowing the life, death, resurrection. Uh, I mean. Other people reading Matthew, Mark, and John, and Luke most likely knew the death, resurrection story, but it was written in a more chronological, linear sense. Right. John has a different tone, and he is setting a theological tone from the very beginning to say Jesus' life is a demonstration of what was going to happen. 
it's, it's full of that. So, for example, in chapter 6, then when you have the feeding of the multitudes, right. it becomes a Eucharistic story explicitly. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Uh, chapter 19, when it tells his, Jesus' death, it is explicitly told as a Passover story. Uh, for for John, um, Jesus' death and resurrection is that which fills his gospel. Yeah. And he brings Passover as a way he signals, pay attention, here it is again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good, uh, good point. Good thing to understand that John is different. John's approach is different. The storytelling is different. You, yeah. You've got to be careful not to leap straight from Mark, where we've been, into John, and just sort of as if there were, you know, no difference in the setup yeah, or anything. Exactly. Again, you don't have to spend all day explaining that, but no. we need to keep our minds set that way. Couple of, uh, couple of quick, the preacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of quick things about the first half of this story, uh, 14 through 17, in which he cleanses the temple. I have too many times had people excuse their bad behavior. Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus lost his temper. Yeah. Well, uh, nowhere, I don't really see where he lost his temper. <laughs> it, yeah. Now, the whip of, yeah, this is zeal. This is, whew, yes. He, uh, he found people selling cattle sheep, guys, and money changers seated at their table. He could very well have done this very coldly and rationally. Mm-hmm. Making a whip of cords, notice carefully, he didn't hit people. He drove all of them out of the temple. Now, if you look backward, if you don't listen carefully, you think that applies to the money changers, but it, it doesn't. Drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. All right. Then he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. <laughs> then he comes to the doves, take these things out of here. I guess the exclamation points, you know, he was being firm. Uh, and I, I don't mind to say he lost his temper. There's nothing wrong with losing your temper. He didn't hit people. Now, the second thing is, well, why did he get upset like this? Well, this stuff was supposed to happen outside the temple confines. It had been it had a place where it happened, and it was a necessary business. Sure. Uh, a lot of the people that came, the money changers, a lot of people who came were out-of-town, out-of-country tourists. I, I know... Many of you listening have traveled out of the country. I remember when I went to London, one of the first things I had to do in the airport was go get some British coin of the realm. You know, you got to be able to use the money that's that's, uh, in the country. And that's what they're doing. So they can do business in the temple. They need that. They They come from out of the country. They're not walking in from the farm 30 miles away. Bringing right. their own cow or sheep or dove for a sacrifice, they got to buy one. This yeah. is facilitating. Jesus' point is, you shouldn't do that in here. Mm-hmm. They had made mm-hmm. the business had, that was necessary had encroached on the worship space. Yeah, yeah, they. Uh, yeah, things a little crossed up. Yeah, I'll, I'll hold all my comments. Go ahead. You, well, and, and so the. the one of the things I was thinking about with this, and uh, H. Richard Niebuhr uh, frequently said things along the lines that got summarized this way, but in his various books, he talked about 
the issue is he was a church historian, the brother of Reinhold Niebuhr, the theologian. And H. Richard said, essentially, no matter what purpose and for which an institution is founded, once it's founded, the purpose becomes maintenance of the institution. Jesus' complaint here is that the leaders of the temple were making decisions based on what's best for the financial future of the temple rather than what's best for the spiritual future of the worshipers. That's his basic complaint. You have made choices that turned this into a marketplace which makes money for the temple and then by extension for the leaders and the people dependent on the temple for money, as opposed to making the decisions that have to do with the proper way to worship and things that bring people closer to God. I think that's a question the church needs to ask itself on more than one occasion. Ain't that the truth? And you know, don't 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 misunderstand. I, I've spent most of my life as a friend of mine in Nashville said, I don't know if I could stand making a living passing the plate. <laughs> I understand. Um, you know, uh, we are dependent on the charity of our, and willingness to give of our parishioners, their support of what we do. I understand yeah. that. But there comes a point you have to be very careful how you make those choices and how you yeah. think them through. Right. So the real conflict here became one of, of re- religious values. Uh, the leaders of the institution were interested in self-preservation, and Jesus was interested in how we make God most present for right. humanity in their need. Right. So then you have this transition uh, um, when which the, and the word the Jews in John, you got to remember the leadership. This is not all the Jewish people. Be careful of anti-Semitism. The leaders of the Jewish people said, what kind of sign can you show us for doing this? They're being careful. They know he's already, they know he's a prophet and a teacher. And so they want to say, can you prove to us you were supposed to do this? Yeah. Now, this is when it gets a little easy in which he says, well, I'll destroy the temple in three days. I'll raise it up. As, as one commentator put it, Jesus speaks from above, and the people always hear from below. Hmm. And this is a consistent theme in John, you know, the woman at the well, I'll give you living water, and she says, you don't have a bucket. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, born, from, born again, how can I come out of my mother's womb? It's a consistent way he tells things. Yeah. So in this, he says, the temple, let's be fair, we would all think he meant the temple. Well, yeah. They're in the middle I of the mean. temple. <laughs> and they say, well, it's been under construction for 46 years. Yeah. You're going to raise it up in three days? Yes. Yeah. And then you get the explanation of this episode, the Passover moment. He was speaking of the temple of his body. Right. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered this, and they believed the yeah. scripture, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, they didn't get it till afterwards either. So yeah, yeah. Um, they didn't understand it till afterwards, and that's a theme we picked up from the Transfiguration. 
and other episodes that it was looking back on the life, death, and resurrection, particularly the Passion Weekend, that they began to understand things that Jesus had been saying all along. Yeah, yeah. And we we come with the benefit of having gone through this every year for years. Yeah. But still, we have trouble getting it. <laughs> and that's uh, the proclamation, I think, of this at this point in the third week in Lent has to do with reminding folk that uh, when it comes to holy things, be it Ten Commandments that we trivialize or crosses that we hang around our necks and pay thousands of dollars for gold ones with amethyst that exactly have one that's pretty expensive somebody gave me that's just like that. Or if it comes to our houses of worship that we get so enamored of keeping them functioning and keeping them pretty that we forget what we're there for. Throughout all of this, the theme has to do with are we letting something get in the way of God's relationship with humanity which took place through Jesus Christ and because we are the body of Christ we are called to be a place, what the Celts called a thin place, right? where God and humanity meet. There we are. And, yes, and, and uh, I started to say, Richard Rohr, it's not, it's N.T. Wright that uses that theme consistently, um, that the, the, the place where heaven and earth meet Um, He sees it in creation in the beginning. He sees it in the tabernacle and the temple. Of course, ultimately, it's in Jesus and the church. And then at at the end of all things, heaven and earth will meet in a new creation. But yes, uh, I I am with you uh, all the way here, Baba. I've just been jotting down sermon titles and and ideas. Uh, I I started with the, you know, this thing, um, in fact, weeks ago, when I was outlining my, my preaching, I, I wrote down, whipping up a storm. Uh, you know, Jesus is, is uh, this is an attention-getting story, certainly. Yeah. And you come down to the middle of it, and that question, uh, what sign can you show us for doing all these things? And I wrote down, Jesus saying, a sign? I think I just gave you a sign. I almost want to, you know, almost want to hear that. I learned a new word today, by the way, Bubba. Maybe you've heard this before in your reading. Do you know what an interrobang is? Well, I, I am terrible with words if I can't see them. So spell it, at least spell it for me. Yeah, I-N-T-E-R-R-O, interrobang, B-A-N-G, an interrobang. It doesn't come to mind. Well, neither did it for me. An interrobang is something I think Jesus would use here. It's a punctuation mark, and it is an exclamation point with a question mark superimposed right on the top of it. When one is asking a question in an exclamatory manner. What you talking about, Willis? That's it. That's it. So I, I almost hear Jesus with an interrobang moment here. That's yeah. fine. What? And but yeah, we we have this. For me, the idea I'm working on here is the question for the church is like these uh, 
uh, Pharisees, leaders, these Jews that are pointed out here, how do we in the church, how often do we miss the point of what's going on? You start yeah. with this this uh, story of missing the point, you know, doing the right thing in the wrong way. They had everything in the wrong place, and Jesus clears them out. You end with this story of destroying the temple. Well, no, it's the temple of his body. Well, how often do we miss the point? Right. And, and what is this saying to us? Um, I'm fascinated by the zeal for God's house. Uh, probably not going to yeah. go there. But it's an upsetting story, and I think it is supposed to be. Well, there, there, there are a couple of titles come to mind for me if I wanted yep. to do something overall. is Adventures in Missing the Point. Yep. That's it. Uh, all the way from, you know, the Ten Commandments. You can go outside the story and say, oh, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. We'll follow that 100%. And then, no. Uh, uh, and the way it keeps getting, and the, the, the Jewish people and the Christian people over and all were do what Robert, Father Robert Capone said. Uh, we turn a gift into a deal every time. Yeah. We want to earn it. We want to make a deal. Uh, so let's make a deal. Question mark might be a title. I remember uh, Bill Ingvall from the Blue Collar <laughs> Comedy Tour with Jeff Foxworthy's best known of that bunch with uh, You Might Already Be a Redneck. But Bill Ingvall had a great bit called Here's Your Sign. Right. And the point of, you can look that up on YouTube, and part of the point of Here's Your Sign is people missing the obvious. Right. You know? And, and then he'd end it with, here's your sign. Well, they're asking for a sign, and Jesus is going, look, it's right here in front of you. And I think that part of the thing is, we think we understand the sign. He's got crosses all over everything. Like in most Protestant churches, you know, they're on the end of the pews, they're on the hymnals, they're on the door. <laughs> you know, we're wearing them around their neck. They're all over the in the liturgical churches. They're on the vestments, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's it. But do we miss the sign of what it means, the foolishness of the cross, the weakness of the cross? Do we continually look to it to find it, try to make it make sense? Do we try to make it a sign of power rather than than remember that Christ went to the cross? Mm -hmm. And that's the ultimate sign. That's it. And that's what we get. Okay, Baba. Well, uh, thanks. A lot of uh, potential entry points here. And I think uh, what we said back at the beginning today, you got to find a place to light and then you got to stick with it. You try to yeah. cover all the potential places in all of these readings today. Uh, I'm afraid we get a little scattered and it's going to be kind of hard to make it. And then our sermon could be called an exercise in missing the point. Yeah, so <laughs> it's important, to, like you said, find one. I used to regularly listen to uh, a preacher whose uh, sermon was three, four minutes on each text. And at the end, I thought, I used to jokingly say his conclusion consisted of make of that what you will. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. All right. Well. Uh, again, thank you all for hanging in here with us today. I know the audio qualities have been less than even usual when we yeah. when we have trouble sometimes, but we wanted to get something out to you, and uh, we continue to give you our 
prayers and best wishes uh, as you continue preaching and teaching during this season of Lent. Bubba, I don't, uh, I don't think there's much else left for us uh, to do today. All we're going to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Top of the Morning, performed by Track Tribe. We go out today with Watch Me Whip, Watch Me Nay Nay. And as you are surely aware, this is performed by Silent Toe. Watch me, nay, nay. Why me do it? Now watch me whip. Watch me, nay, nay. Okay. Now watch me whip, whip. Watch me, nay, nay. Can you do it? Now watch me. Ooh, watch me. Watch me. Ooh, watch me. Watch me. Ooh, watch me. Watch me. Now watch me, nay, nay. Okay. Now watch me whip, whip, whip. Watch me, nay, nay.